I'm Rebecca Brandwood and this is the Interim Leader podcast brought to you by Odges Interim, the UK's largest provider of interim management services. This episode is a recording of a webinar we've recently hosted for interim managers on the topic of navigating remote interview and digital onboarding processes. A big thank you to our panellists, Mark Garrett and Bernard Scully for joining us and sharing their recent experiences. Please enjoy the show. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Rebecca Brandwood. I work as a consultant across both the health and higher education practice for Odges Interim. Um, I'd like to welcome you all to this webinar on virtual interviews and onboarding, which we've set up due to very popular demands. Uh, first of all, uh, on behalf of myself and my colleagues, I would just like to say we hope you're all okay um, and we send you our best wishes because we appreciate it's been a very strange uh, and difficult time for everybody um, and we're here to support our interim community in any way that we can. Uh, of course, the virus has had a huge impact on the way that we go about recruitment and all processes have been moved online. So this webinar has, has basically been set up so that we can share uh, our guidance with you from our experience so far. Uh, I'm joined today um, by my colleagues and co-hosts, uh, SJ Leatherdale, who is head of our health and life sciences practice, and Terry Noble just joined, who is our energy and utilities consultant. I'm also delighted to welcome our panel of interim leaders, both of whom have secured new interim assignments uh, during the pandemic, um, and they're here and kindly offered to share their experience of uh, the virtual interview and onboarding process. So up on our panel, we have Mark Garrett, who is now working as the Interim Director of Marketing, Recruitment and International at Swansea University. And we have Bernard Skelly, who is the Interim HR Director at North East London NHS Foundation Trust. First question that I have for the panel, what was your experience of the virtual interview process and how did it differ from a more traditional interview? Mark, if you don't mind answering that first. I think the, the, the difference for me, um, it, it felt to me there was a need to have more of a personable um, journey on the process. So the way I was um, kind of onboarded, if you like, I had um, a, an informal conversation with the chief operating officer, which then, um, I guess, allowed me to be shortlisted to have um, a couple of sessions which they described as fireside chats affectionately, but they were with colleagues, um, senior colleagues in the organisation. It was the classic kind of, um, these aren't part of the process, but you know very well they are part of the process. So my, my point around that is that never drop your guard in this particular situation. They are part of the process. Apparently with, um, on Zoom, these are all on Zoom, with the Vice-Chancellor, the Chief Operating Officer, one of the senior academics and the HR Director. And of course, the, the, there's, a, there's a couple of things that are different. So, so one, it's less formal. However, I would, again, wouldn't drop your guard. My advice is to still maintain a sense of formality. Um, I know we've had a question asked about dress code. The biggest challenge and decision I had to make was, should I wear a tie or not? Which was really interesting, and I'm glad I didn't, because the panellists that were interviewing me, they were all interviewing me from their home settings, and they certainly weren't dressed up, which was which was a bit of a shock for me because, you know, you normally expect a, a vice chancellor of a university to be very formal and they weren't. And I think what that allowed then is the conversation in the panel interview to be more relaxed. I mean, I have to say, I felt, I felt incredibly relaxed at the whole process, but I didn't, I made sure I didn't come across 
as if I was too relaxed. I think you've got to really still remember that whilst it might seem relaxing, you've still got to perform. And so my advice is you've still got to think like a professional, but you don't have to wear a tie. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, Mark. That was really helpful. Bernard, I don't know if you have any sort of further comments or you can sort of add on your experience. My experience started on the uh, 2nd of March with a kind of telephone call from, from SGA. And I had an informal uh, telephone call with the chief executive on the uh, 4th of March. And the, the formal interview was set up for the uh, 19th of March. However, of course, uh, COVID was now running rampant at that particular time. And through SGA and the team, there was a, a virtual uh, interview arranged with the uh, chief executive and the, the chairman of, of the trust. It was certainly strange. It was a much shorter interview than would be normal. It, it only lasted for 35 minutes. But I think that wasn't due to the fact that it wasn't a, a physical interview. It was due to the fact that by the 19th of March, both the chief executive and the chairman were fully stretched on service issues relating to coronavirus. In terms of the interview itself, the technology didn't work great. I think uh, there's a couple of times the, uh, the signal dropped out. We didn't lose each other completely. But uh, other than that, I treated the interview in exactly the same way as I would any, any other formal interview. Thank you, Bernard. So just a little bit more, Bernard, if I, if I may ask you another question uh, with regards to the onboarding process. How did you find that? And what advice would you give to those about to go into the same situation? Yeah, I think it, it varies from trust to trust, but, but certainly at uh, the Northeast London Foundation Trust, it was more difficult than it would have been if I'd been there physically in terms of uh, talking to people and presentation of papers. There were some uh, quirky issues. Uh, also within the NHS, there's a, a massive list of uh, checks you have to go through in terms of uh, identity checks and also the fit and proper person test. It wasn't particularly streamlined because there's uh, the recruitment department want information, the payroll uh, department want information, and the corporate governance department wanted information. Uh, some of it was duplicated and some of it wasn't. So I ended up kind of working quite hard to email different people with different sets of information. Now, I've got to say the, the most difficult bit was, because uh, normally when you join a trust, you have the uh, in-house professional photography team who take your photograph. And so I do that at home with my mobile phone, and that took a bit of practice. <laughs> I got there, got there in the end. But yeah, it was more difficult than it would be had I been in there in person. But, but nonetheless, I think that uh, duplication would have still uh, would still have existed in the trust. And obviously, as the interim HR director, that's something I'll be talking to the three departments about to see whether we can uh, overcome that duplication. I was going to say, I'm sure you're going to be streamlining that, Bernard. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Mark, please, your comments on onboarding. Oh, it was really straightforward. I mean, um, literally, I did all the paperwork in a matter of hours. I mean, literally, I, I got offered the job on the 23rd of April, and I started the, with the organisation on the 4th of May. And, and literally, it all been set up. And in terms of onboarding, I getting, getting set up with IT... The first day, the first morning, it was all set up. And I was often running on wall-to-wall -wall Zooms, which we'll talk about a bit later, I'm sure. Mm. It was okay. pretty straightforward. I think that shows that Swansea University clearly have done it very well. 
Okay, thank you. So question for me now, uh, Mark, how do you influence remotely? Oh, that's a big question. Um, you got a smile? <laughs> so I, 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 what I found with Zoom and the quality of Zoom and the interaction, I, found, I personally found it more easy to build a, build a rapport with the individuals. So if we take the panel interview, th this thing about body language, I still feel you can have body language, but like we can, we're having it now. Yeah? I found you could, be, you could still be your natural self. But the important thing, like, like in normal interviews, is if someone's asked you a question, you need to ask, you've got to, you should be answering the question to that individual. Now, it's very difficult to do that because you can't see where you're looking, in a sense, yeah? So I found myself using the individual's name more. I don't typically say the thing is Terry, it's not in my natural style, but I found myself doing that more. Um, but I don't, I don't think people should be, be worried about not being able to build rapport because I think you can, your natural style, you can do that through, because there's good quality video. You've got to be yourself, but you might want to tweak some of the techniques to make sure when you're talking to the individual in question, then you're responding to them. Brilliant, thank you. Um, Bernard? Really odd for me because um, because of the lockdown, I've, I've never been there. So I've never met um, any of my colleagues other than remotely, uh, which is really unusual in terms of how do you establish relationships and rapport. Uh, it's been less of a problem than I thought it would be. Uh, one of the characteristics, of course, is the, we do a lot of meetings by, by WebEx. And by and large, technically, they work, they work very well. Uh, it requires a good chairman. I think more difficult is that uh, there's been very few one-to-one uh, -one, uh, Zoom or WebEx meetings with, with colleagues. Whereas if you're working in the location, then you know, the vast majority of your interactions with your colleagues will be one-to-one, face-to-face. I would think probably 99% of my contacts through the uh, WebEx have been with uh, the whole group virtually. And I think going forward, you know, if, if it were to last much longer, uh, I think uh, the trust would need to get into the practice of doing more WebExes on a one-to-one -one basis. The next one was sort of how do you get to understand the challenges of an organisation remotely? Um, Bernard, if you don't mind. Yes, I think getting to know the challenges is, is quite easy and it's, it's quite natural. I'm pleased to say that business, in terms of the executive director communication, communication with my team, run as normal. You know, so operationally, the hospitals and the community centres still have to run and the services have to run. So we still have uh, board meetings, we still have committees and subcommittees. And you know, I still have regular uh, calls and WebExes with my with my own staff. In a sense, it, it's it's not a lot different from actually physically being there, because when you're dealing with the agendas for the trust board report or the finance report or the people and culture committee, and the the other issues, the operational issues, are no less evident than they would be if you were actually physically there. Thank you, thank you, Mark. Have you got anything else to share on that point? Quite similar to Bernard, actually. I mean, um, I was I've been afforded the luxury of the first month of having the incumbent in the role being paralleling with me, so he was very. It was very easy for him to give me all those con those governance constructs and get involved in them. But the challenge of universities, as colleagues on the phone may or may not know, is 
is, is pretty real and the challenge is about the COVID recovery plan getting back on campus and making sure students turn up. So in a sense, um, the actual organisational challenges, it was, it was easy to get, in, get into. I mean, we, we're going to talk a bit later about how you, how you manage teams. Great. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, SJ, I know you have a few questions that we've received in advance. Absolutely. Um, so just on what you were just saying, Mark, with regards to managing a team remotely, I mean, how possible is this? Because obviously it's difficult to digest the, um, the body language, the eye contact. There's a lot of people who may actually one on a one to one basis or one to three basis talk quite a lot but then us behind, a, behind technology and suddenly they go very quiet. So, I mean, characters can also change quite considerably. And I've noticed that, to be honest. How, how would you well, literally just manage that team? So, so the, fir the first point is I've, I've got to know more people in three or four weeks through this technology than I ever would in this space of time if I'd been on a campus. There, would, there was always going to be excuses to why you couldn't meet people because you had to set up physical. So actually, it's been much easier to get my head around. I, I've inherited 260 members of staff. So I was sat on calls in the first few days where 60 or 70 of them were up on the screen. So I could very quickly try to put a face to a name. So, so that's good. I was thrown into being an, answering questions about you know, the challenges very quickly. On one level, it's difficult, but on another, you can start to build rapport with people by expressing who you are. So my one, my one piece of advice is, if you're in a leadership position, the sooner you can give people your kind of, the way you approach things, the better. Because you've got to try and get over the fact that they won't be able to see what's in your eyes, so to speak. I've been in front of a lot of people very quickly, more quickly than I ever would have been. Do you think the communication has got a lot better though? I mean, obviously if you're delivering whatever you, you need to, to update on, whether it's finances, et cetera, et cetera, but do you think that um, two-way communication or as well as the, the visibility side has improved or do you think it still has uh, considerable restrictions in certain areas? I think it's different. I mean, Zoom's quite, in, quite good. And actually I, I find that people that maybe wouldn't stand up and look the meeting. It's easier for them to ask the question on a chat. Then what I've found is that if then people in other settings, if they have a conversation, they can ask it directly. My initial response is, I think we should be embracing this way of working going forward. Another question on that as well. Um, Zoom fatigue. I mean, I know this is certainly the way we're communicating now. Do you think there could be a burnout of this as well? Because you can literally go from one to the next, the next, and you're, there's a different feel to it because also you're, you're seated. So you're not out and sort of getting re-energized by walking to, to meetings or traveling to meetings. So there is that uh, possibility that one could get a little bit exhausted by all of it. What's happened is people have applied um, kind of meeting protocols as if they were in the building. And so I've, even today, actually, the amount of governance groups we've got and the amount of my team and me are involved in them, I've basically reframed it that we want less people at them and we want more time in between. So I've actually now instructed the PA that I've inherited to say, I, I only want four maximum of these a day. Mm, absolutely. I think, I think going forward, the notion that I could be working on campus for three 
days a week and two days a week do the Zoom thing, I think is really positive for work-life balance going forward. So I think we can learn from now. Your point's well made. I mean, I found myself doing weird things like doing 20 press-ups in between Zoom meetings so I can at least get some energy. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've heard a similar story. Bernard, your, your thoughts on, on, on A, Zoom fatigue and maybe burnout, but also um, managing a team very much remotely. Yes, managing the team has been very unusual because in addition to it being virtual, uh, much of the corporate staff, including the HR team, have been seconded to other COVID-related duties. You know, so they're dealing with uh, well-being and, and training and other issues, redeployment in particular. But having said that, I have uh, regular calls every week with my top team. We have um, a number of uh, group meetings. Like Mark was saying, it's, it's very easy to get to know lots of people in the trust that you wouldn't otherwise get to meet or, or get to know. In terms of the number of calls and uh, whether people are getting uh, Zoom fatigue, I think there is a problem with that because you're not uh, physically traveling to, to locations. It's much easier for the diaries to become overfull. And, and like Mark, I've had to say to my peer to, uh, to reduce them so that I can get some real work done in between the meetings. But uh, I think, you know, I think this has broke the mold in terms of uh, people uh, working flexibly and organizations and managers responding much more flexibly to, to staff requests. I say not just from a, a senior level, but from the, uh, the junior ranks as well. The well-being strategy uh, certainly has changed with the flexible ways of working. Uh, obviously, one, one can't avoid that, but also maybe the part-time consideration as well. But Bernard, I'm, I'm interested to learn, obviously, from, from working within a, a mental health trust currently. I mean, that there's going to be the fatigue or exhaustion or sort of burnout and the well-being of individuals, the anxiety, um, the unsettledness of, of that return to work. Has that strategy heightened even more so? Um, I mean, obviously, it's always been in place of how to, to respond to the workforce, but this is going to be a key, key consideration moving forward for all industries, all employees, the well-being of, of those individuals. So, Yes, it, it's been an absolutely uh, massive issue for us. Of course, being the type of trust we are, we, we do have uh, quite a large team of uh, psychologists, and we are using those psychologists to support our staff. There's also a massive amount of support through the London region and nationally in terms of uh, webinars and, and links where staff can uh, get the support. We've got our normal occupational health department. We've also got a, a long-standing employee assistance program. Uh, they would be the two uh, mainstays of our staff support, but that's been expanded by you know, 60, 70 percent in terms of uh, supporting the staff. And uh, we've put a lot of effort into uh, risk assessment and control measures and uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, but every, every day, that's, that's a massive issue for us. And we, we're always kind of working very hard to support the staff. But yes, I think uh, health and well-being is kind of absolutely a huge issue for us. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Thank you very much. Mark, if I could just ask you, um, as a leader uh, of teams, to, to ensure the productivity uh, against performance targets, how would you measure that now moving forward? Um, well, I think you've got to... Um... You've got to be cognizant of the fact that in some jobs there might be a reduction in productivity. I mean, some, in, in my world, you've got extremes from creative people doing creative stuff through to people managing applications for students to a university. So, so each of those, there's a different way of assessing productivity. Um, but the one thing I've been encouraging my directors and associate directors and heads of department to do is to have... Uh, much more communication on a more regular basis. But that's not just for productivity, it's for the point that Bernard's making, which is around mental health. I do know already there's one or two members of staff who are really struggling to work from home and they're putting their hand up first to get back on campus first. So when we're, when we're looking at regaining the campus, which we'll only be able to have a 20% capacity, so that's a real constraint. It, with, the, with the current... Um, um, social distancing rules, only 20% of the staff and students can go back on campus. So you've got to do, you've got to do that bit as well as people's kind of mental health piece. Um, but I am finding that um, I'm happy to have more conversations on Zoom with a wider group of the team, e even if it's just checking in. Um, so, so what is effectively that, that, the, the directors meeting was used to be every month. It's now every week, but that's partly to help with productivity, but partly to help with the more important bit, which is how are people feeling? Mm. And also to ensure that, that individuals are not becoming disengaged as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's absolutely um, paramount. Um, if, if I could just ask a quick question with regards to interviews again. Um, there, there's a, a, a comment from, from an attendee saying that they found uh, using Zoom in interviews um, allows them to have more notes in front of them uh, for the role that they're applying for, where normally, you know, in, in the presence of an actual interview, uh, th th this, isn't, uh, this doesn't happen. I mean, there is distinctly an advantage also <laughs> of a, a virtual interview, but... Um, I, I, I guess, I mean, how, how will that be sort of moving forward as well? Do we go back to the old style or is it simply um, uh, the preparation needs to be more so? It, 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 it's quite interesting to see how that uh, approach has, has also uh, changed things. Um, yeah. so, so presumably both, both of you did exactly the same thing. You probably had quite a lot of notes in front of you and reference points. Is that right? Yes, I did. I had. I think I, I declared it to Rebecca that um, <laughs> I, I put them all around my screen. But but in a sense, it's the same rules apply. If if you're smart, I mean, I had a guy who I know who does all the assessment of universities who did me a ten PowerPoint presentation on the big issues surrounding Swansea University. And then after I got the interview, I told the the people that would be my bosses that that had been the case, and I had them on my screen. Um, but in a sense, that's about uh, initiative, isn't it? It's how I've, I actually personally felt more prepared for this interview than I'd ever been for, the re for that reason. Mm. Um, I, I, could, I, I've, I was in control of my environment. 
Now, I don't think from a recruiter's perspective, that's a bad thing either, because, I mean, you know, they all chuckled when I told them afterwards that I'd done all this preparation. I actually just think that shows that I probably was, I I wanted the job and I was the right candidate because I, I took that time and effort. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's not like you've got someone sat next to you giving, telling you how to answer the question, but you've been more prepared. Mm. It's interesting also to see the, uh, I mean, it, 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 the cultural fit as well, because normally one is in front, directly in front of other individuals. So you can see again how that's starting to, to mold itself in, into that cultural fit uh, from all parties. So again, virtually, that, that's a little bit tricky. Um, it can get lost, can't it, through a, through a virtual process? It can, but it didn't for me. I mean, yeah. I, I, I really was not. You got the role. <laughs> generally, waiting for the call from Rebecca the next day, and it felt like it was an interminably long morning, um, because I I'd, I'd felt that the culture was right for me. The CVs are often used to explore uh, your backgrounds and understanding in the interview process. Um, do you think? And obviously, that's fifty percent of it. In a, a a great deal is on the, the, the fit as we just discussed. Do you think any of that is impeded or lost in that interview process? That, there's also another question that talks about what do you think you can add to the process as well? I think if you combine those, conversa- the, those two questions, what do you think is impeded and lost and what do you think you can gain in, an, in a virtual interview process? I, th- I think if you approach it right and you, you present your personality, then... I don't think that's the first bit's a challenge. Um, I think there's every opportunity to get across who you are. Um, and the second bit is you've got more opportunity to be prepared at what we just discussed. So you've got more opportunity to have assets available to you, which you wouldn't have in a normal setting. So um, I think I'm, you can tell by what I'm saying. I'm very, I'm very positive about this and also as a method for going forward. I think from a recruitment point of view as well, there's, we've got to have some empathy for the client on the other side. Um, they'll have some trepidation as well. So discussing with them what can and can't be achieved um, through the process is always a good way of breaking down boundaries in, from the remote perspective. Does the panel have a view on virtual approach risks contributing to levels of disengagement with frontline staff? Uh, Bernard, do you want to take that one first? For the vast majority of our frontline staff, it's it's not a problem because of the nature of the, the health service. The frontline staff do have to be there. They've, they've got no choice. If you take the support staff, such as finance and, and HR, I think there is a risk in terms of uh, engagement. It's not always as easy to, to see what people are, are producing. It, it's a tricky one to, to get the balance, especially when you're when you're doing it remotely, because it's it's, it's so easy to, to come across as as being cold. You know, it's not personal contact, and therefore I think it's it's more difficult to challenge people on underperformance. But I, I still think it's it's important to do that. Having said that, I think the the, the majority of staff are, are very much uh, hardworking. They certainly, in my experience, are working probably longer hours uh, on average than they did before. Uh, but for those you have doubts about their productivity and contribution, you've got to tread a little bit more carefully. But nonetheless, I think you have to you have to grasp the nettle. Thank you, uh, Mark. 
Yeah, well, I agree with Bernard's point. A lot of people are saying to me they seem to be working longer hours. And one of the challenges is, is making sure that, um, that there are boundaries. So, for instance, I, I've, I've put on my email signature that I don't expect people to respond to me immediately. You should only respond in your working hours because I've got people that are working. I've got young kids who are doing homeschooling and they're working really early in the morning and really late at night. So, so I think it's important to set the context for that. Brilliant, thank you. Um, one of more of a practical one, maybe Re Rebecca or SJ can help answer as well on this one. Uh, when onboarding, uh, quite often documents have, uh, need to be physically signed. Uh, have the panel found any of the processes been impacted by remote working? I've got to be honest, when, we, uh, when I place someone uh, remotely, we, uh, I was introduced to a thing, an app called Tiny Scanner, which helped immensely. But uh, is that Rebecca or SJ, have you got any advice on the, the more of the, the, the hard copies, et cetera, and how you get around that? I personally haven't had any issues with, with that at all. I think the clients that we're working with are quite comfortable just to have sort of any signature for any documents given the circumstances. Uh, moving on, we've got to, do the panel have any thoughts about um, how, how we, when we'll get back to normal uh, or what kind of process you can put in place for that? Well, I mean, I can talk from a university perspective. Um, we'll have a team in doing A-level A -level results day in August, um, but it needs to be socially distanced. And we'll have, we'll have, the, have the ability, normally space is tight in the university, so it's easy for us to actually be able to spread out because a lot of the other things won't be happening. So we're planning on um, having the team in to do the clearing operation, which is critical for most universities in August but we'll start be, be, be having people on campus in July. And this is in Wales, by the way, where it's even tougher. And then like most universities, apart from Cambridge, we're all saying we're gonna have a blended uh, learning approach. Um, I'm also on the board of Leeds City College who are planning to get start getting back to college in July. But it all has to be with real and um, sophisticated look at the estates planning to ensure that that can work. Now, if we have a second wave, all bets are off. We'll all be back home. I mentioned before that in terms of the frontline staff, most of them are there anyway. So the getting back to work to normal for us is mostly in relation to uh, support staff, say HR, finance, and, and other kind of corporate services. And the key issue is we have a, a recovery committee and they're looking at the, the estates issues and social distancing, and also doing quite a lot around uh, risk assessments to make sure that those people who might have underlying conditions are, are fully protected. Uh, so, the, so the detailed plan now being addressed and being rolled out to get things back, back to normal. The big worry, of course, is in case there's a, a resurgence of the, of the virus. Thank you. Um, one of the other questions, how are you um, coping with external stakeholders uh, and managing those relationships? Um, Bernard, do you want to take that one first? The trust's now working as a big system. So you've got the primary care uh, service, you've, you've got our services, community services, mental health, you've got acute. So there's, there's large, complicated networks of uh, HR directors and others and, and operational groups where there's a, a kind of a intricate uh, matrix of uh, communications with all of those groups at the moment. And again, that, that's working very well. And it's, it's been quite surprising that uh, the organizational boundaries that existed between the teaching hospitals, 
the mental health and community hospitals and primary care. They, they, they've almost disappeared overnight because of this, this uh, crisis. So some of that networking that's been going on with the external uh, stakeholders is, is, I think, going to make a very significant difference about how the, the service is configured at local level. And I think some of the traditional boundaries between the big teaching hospitals and the others will be much more flexible, and some of them may even disappear together. And you know, this, this crisis in bringing those external stakeholders together has been one of the massive positive issues coming out of this. Brilliant. Thank you. Look, I'm, I'm conscious of time. Uh, we, we're about to go over time, which is a, a good sign that we've had a good discussion. Mark? Just a final point. Some of you may have noticed I was talking to someone, and I've seen a lot of that. And I think the one thing we can learn from this, to put your point about empathy, is that it, it used to be kind of we had a cynical view. People were home and they might have their kids. Are they really doing the work? What I, I've seen more children on Zoom in the last few weeks in a work setting than I've ever seen. And it's positively been embraced. And I think that m m the thing we can't lose is that actually people do have personal lives. And the real opportunity with all this is to recognise that we're going to get to know the human being more. Yeah, I can, I can agree. I've got a four-year-old that has no respect for the, the office. <laughs> um, from my side, um, just a quick thank you to everyone for joining us. Um, this is a dialogue we'll keep open. It's obviously something that people want to learn lots more about. Um, thank you very much uh, and hopefully see you all soon. Thank you to everyone who has joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe and follow for more insights from our network of consultants, clients and interim managers. Thank you.